You are listening to As a Woman, Episode 12, Egg Freezing. Learn about the benefits of freezing your eggs. Listen as we discuss the truth about freezing your eggs and age, success rates, and your options. Learn about the steps of the egg freezing process and what questions you should be asking if you're considering preserving your fertility. Listen to my challenge for you this week. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition, while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends. Welcome back. I am so excited to have you here for episode 12 of As a Woman. This is all about egg freezing. So I think this is so important. One, because egg freezing has become such a normal word in our societal vocabulary. And often we don't really understand what it means, what the process entails, who's a good candidate, and our chance of success. Overall, I'm a big fan of egg freezing because it is expanding our reproductive options. And you know me, I'm a fan of that. More options, the better. But I'm also a huge believer that you have got to have data appropriate for you, and it must be disclosed in a really clear and transparent way. So maybe egg freezing parties and just making it super fun isn't really the best way to do this because this is real stuff. I don't want it to be scary, but I think it really does need to be understood. And I'm going to start by saying, hey guys, egg freezing was experimental until 2012. 2012, that's not that long ago. So if you sit across from me and you ask about long-term side effects or data, I don't have it. Nobody has it. Don't let anybody tell you that they do because we don't. That's the reality. And when egg freezing first became not experimental, it was easy for the American Society of Reproductive Medicine to get on board especially when women were in situations when their fertility may be harmed. So cancer is the easiest one to think of here. Hey, we don't really know the long-term outcomes of egg freezing, but you're about to undergo chemotherapy and we know your eggs are going to be damaged. So any that we can put in storage for potential options for a family in the future, that's going to be optimal to letting them be exposed to the damaging effects of chemotherapy. So yay, that's worth the potential risk that we may not know about. Now that egg freezing is switching gears, we're not just talking about it for fertility preservation for oncofertility. Certainly that's still crucially important, but now we're talking about it in a social context. So now women who are delaying their childbearing on purpose because of career aspirations or education, because they haven't found the right partner, or because they're just not ready are looking towards egg freezing for options to help counteract the normal effects of age and fertility. Overall, this is huge. This is a great benefit and a wonderful reproductive option, but we have to be educated about what it means. And I'm not scaring you. This is me talking to you about something I am very passionate about. I love egg freezing. It is like female empowerment to the extreme. I mean, here is a woman who comes in. She's ready to schedule a visit put her body through testing, undergo invasive procedures, all in the name of preserving her chance of having the family she wants to in the future. I think that's great. But think about this. 
Even ASRM, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, published an ethics committee talking about the ethics of egg freezing just in this past year. That should show you that this is a hot and somewhat controversial topic. One thing that they say is, and I say this all the time, this is a quote, the issue of false security is highlighted when planned oocyte cryopreservation is referred to as an insurance policy for future childbearing, raising a concern that women may rely too confidently on their preserved oocytes. I couldn't agree more. Anybody who is trying to sell you that freezing your eggs or oocyte cryopreservation is an insurance policy, they do not know what they are talking about and you should go somewhere else. I hate to be so blunt about it, but I really mean it. You'll never hear me say it. I say, you're setting yourself up for the best option you have. You're preparing for the future, but by no means is it a guarantee or an insurance plan. And I actually say those exact words to every patient. One other thing in this ethics committee opinion that I thought was really fascinating, and I see this all the time, it's why this entire platform exists, why as a woman, why I have this huge desire and my goal to educate and empower women is even in here they're acknowledging that what may appear to be an affirmative delay in childbearing may actually be an unwitting product of a knowledge gap the widespread and persistent overestimation of both female reproductive potential with age and the ability of reproductive medicine to restore this potential. Any fertility physician will tell you that they see this all the time. Women come in and are shocked by the impact of age and fertility. They are floored that egg freezing may not be an insurance policy or a guarantee for them, or they want to just do IVF. And when we give them stats for IVF, that is not just quite a simple process, They are just shocked by this information. And that's barrier number one. You can't change the stigma about something if you're not even talking about it in fact. And so I'm going to start here as a refresher. Women have the most eggs they are ever going to have when you're inside your mother's womb. You have six to seven million eggs. From then on, we experience a constant decrease in the number of eggs. By birth, you only have about one to two million. By puberty, you only have about 300,000 And a woman only ovulates about 400 eggs over an average reproductive lifespan. And so what happens to all the other eggs? If you're a loyal As A Woman podcast listener, I love you so much. Some of this you've heard before, and that's okay. It's worth repeating. But in case there's somebody out there who's just hitting play on the egg freezing episode and not listening to all the others, I think this is important enough to cover twice. So as we get older, two different things happen. We run out of eggs and they change their quality. We have a decrease in egg quality. So the easiest way to think about how we only ovulate 400 eggs is that a group of eggs comes to the surface each month of the ovary. I like to use the analogy of a vault. I don't know how many eggs you have. They are trapped in the vault inside your ovary. Go listen to the age and fertility episode for details on the vault. But at the start of each month, a group of eggs is released from the vault. And in general, the size of that group of eggs correlates to how many are left, meaning If you have a lot of eggs remaining, you're going to have a large group released from the vault. If you're running out of eggs and you don't have many left, you're going to have a smaller number released from the vault. That number is crucial in egg freezing. So the older you are in general, you're going to have fewer eggs that are released from the vault each month. And also if you're running out of eggs early, which does happen, you'll have fewer eggs released from the vault each month. Those eggs released from the vault 
We call them the antral follicle count or the AFC. In a normal month, the brain sends out follicle-stimulating hormone or FSH. One of these eggs will ovulate and the rest will die. The whole premise, the whole point of egg freezing or IVF is to get all of the eggs that have been released from the vault to grow. We don't want anybody to die that month. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? but women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin to assess its efficacy and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43%, and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. So listen to me clearly. We are limited by how many eggs are released from the vault. We can't go in and tap into the vault to get more eggs out. If you are running out of eggs and you have fewer released each month, you're going to have fewer eggs available to take out and to freeze. Now that can be overcome with more cycles, but you deserve to understand that data from the get-go. Another way we can try to evaluate your ovarian reserve or how many eggs you have is a blood test called AMH, anti-mullerian hormone. This test is helpful in telling us if you're above average, average, below average, or critically low. Again, AMH should not be used to tell women not to do this or not to freeze their eggs, but it must set expectations appropriately because there is strength in numbers, especially the older you get. And in a minute, I'm going to walk you through the egg freezing process step by step. But let me drive this point home. The live birth rate per egg when you freeze your eggs is not very good. On average, we tell women it's 5 to 8% per egg. But listen to your age. If you're less than 30, 7.4%. If you're 30 to 34, 7%. 
If you're 35 to 37, 6.5%. If you're 38 or older, 5.2%. What does this mean? If you're 38, you need 20 eggs for an optimal outcome for one child. What if you want more than one child? Certainly, you have to have this data when you're making your plan because we have to set expectations appropriately. I tell every woman, regardless of this data, it's still better. If I have three eggs from you and you're 32, that's still better than either being totally out of eggs by the time you're ready to get pregnant at 40 or whatever eggs I can get from you at age 40. Your 32-year-old eggs are still better. It's just important that you can view what you have as the assurance that it may or may not be. So let's talk about why those numbers are so low. The truth is not every egg that is frozen will survive the freeze-thaw. Not every egg that survives will be fertilized with sperm. Not every egg that's fertilized by sperm will grow out to an embryo. Not every embryo that makes it to the blastocyst stage will be genetically normal. And even every genetically normal embryo doesn't implant and result in a live-born baby. There is a lot of loss throughout this process that's really important to understand. And so one thing I really want to make sure you heard, you're going to lose eggs in the freeze-thaw process. I never tell patients to expect 100% of their eggs to survive. So you have to be thinking about that when you're being counseled on this. And I also think... This is why somebody is not wrong if they tell you, well, you're 38, so making embryos is smarter because they're going to survive better. Yeah, embryos are going to survive better. A blastocyst is 100 to 200 cells. It is stronger. It is going to survive the freeze-thaw process better than a one single-cell egg. That's fact. I usually tell patients it's about an 85% chance of survival for an egg. Okay, for an embryo at the blastocyst stage, it's about a 98 to 99% chance of survival. Those numbers are different. That doesn't mean you have to make it into embryos. If you don't have a partner with sperm or you're not ready to use a sperm donor, then is freezing embryos with donor sperm really helping you achieve your goal? For a lot of women, what they're really looking to do is preserve the option of having the best chance at a pregnancy with a future yet undetermined partner, then it makes no sense to fertilize them with donor sperm at this point. It makes no sense. Do a second cycle is what I would say, because then at least you can just overcome the natural loss that you're going to have, the difference between the 85 to 98%, by having more eggs. Just be educated on it versus making a choice that doesn't make sense for what your goal is. I'm going to take a moment to back off my soapbox. You can tell I feel really passionate that there's no point of doing egg freezing if you're being forced to use donor sperm, and that's not really your goal. But let's talk about what egg freezing is. So if the whole point of egg freezing is to make your eggs grow, all of the ones that have been released from the vault, we do that by exposing the ovaries to higher levels of FSH or follicle-stimulating hormone than what they normally see in a natural cycle. Well, guys, we do this with hormone injections. Most people have heard of the hormone injections that come with IVF or with egg freezing. They're really just versions of the natural hormones that our brain makes 
high doses of FSH and then also some LH, so follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. These are peptide hormones, so they're injectable. They're subcutaneous injections, which means it just goes in your small fat areas. It's not a big needle. It's a very tiny needle, like a diabetic who gives insulin. You can't take a pill because these are peptide hormones that'll be broken down in your stomach, so I'm so sorry you have to take a shot, but you can do it. The process lasts for less than two weeks. So in general, you use these hormones, FSH and LH. They're called gonadotropins. They are injectable nightly for somewhere between 8 to 12 days. I tell every woman who sits in front of me, maybe you'll be fast and it'll be 8 days. Maybe you'll be slow and it will be 12 days. I don't know. You have to prepare for that. During this process, you also have to have monitoring, meaning I'm your doctor. I need to know how your eggs are growing. We do this with a transvaginal ultrasound and a blood draw, checking your estrogen level. And this is usually every two to three days. Now, every clinic is different, but in general, if you're going through IVF or egg freezing, you're coming in the most of any patient, and usually you get the preferential appointment times, which are earlier in the morning. At my clinic at Aspire, you'll come in between 7 to 8.30 in the morning for these visits, so hopefully we can get you in and out. And the reason that I and other fertility specialists will use IVF and egg freezing a little bit interchangeably is the process is identical until you get the eggs in the lab. So if your best friend's going through IVF because she's trying to get pregnant and you're freezing your eggs because you want to preserve your options, you guys are doing the exact same things. Everything you do is the same. When your eggs come out, that's when different stuff happens. So let's just think through it again. You're using 8 to 12 nights of gonadotropins, hormone injections. You're coming in every 2 to 3 days. You and your best friend who's doing IVF, you're doing the same thing. There's another part to every protocol, and that is suppressing the body's natural desire to ovulate with high estrogen levels. Remember that I say the brain can't see. It's blind, but it can hear. And estrogen is the normal signal to the brain that you have a mature egg. So we have to block that with an ovulation blocker. That can either be a medication called an antagonist or that can be a medication called Lupron. Those protocols are a little bit different. However, you're going to be using your gonadotropins for 8 to 12 days. You're going to be blocking your body from ovulating in some fashion. And then when you have the highest number of mature eggs determined by ultrasound and by blood work, you will use what's called a trigger shot. Now, the trigger shot helps the egg get into the final stages of meiosis and get to the next stage of maturation so that they can be fertilized at a later date. The trigger shot is essential in order to be able to retrieve the eggs from the body. So after your trigger shot, your egg retrieval is usually 35 to 36 hours later. The egg retrieval is the most invasive part. This is what most people are nervous about. You come in, you'll get an IV placed, and you get a light anesthetic. And I say a light anesthetic because you're still breathing on your own. There's an anesthesiologist. That's who is administering the medication. You're being monitored. And it's overall a very short procedure. It usually takes about 20 to 30 minutes. The procedure itself. So we take the vaginal ultrasound probe. So just like you come in for vaginal ultrasounds. And we attach a needle guide to the ultrasound. And then a needle is used to go vaginally while we observe with ultrasound. And we enter all these follicles and drain out the fluid. 
Remember that each egg grows inside a follicle. So as we drain out the follicular fluid, we can drain out the eggs as well. Your eggs literally go into test tubes and get passed off to the lab. The lab looks through all this fluid, identifies out the eggs, and then they'll strip off all the outer cells of each egg called the cumulus and determine which cells are mature or not mature. The eggs that are mature are then frozen. And that's it. That's how your eggs stay. Your period then comes one to two weeks later and you're back living your life. Now, what happens after the eggs are frozen? I think this discussion is really important because you're not just freezing your eggs for the fun of it. You're freezing them because you want to utilize them later. So if your eggs were not being frozen, what would happen? And that's that they would be fertilized with sperm right away. That's considered day zero. The next day is day one, and you can find out how many of the eggs accepted fertilization and became embryos. Importantly, with egg freezing, because the outer cells are all stripped off, you have to use a type of fertilization called ICSI, or intracytoplasmic sperm injection, ICSI. This is where one sperm is picked up, put into a pipette, the egg is held very still, and the sperm is injected inside the egg. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W. When you use our code AAW, that's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash AAW and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. Because of stripping off the cumulus cells, that impacts the ability of sperm to fertilize them in a more normal fashion. So if you sign up for egg freezing, you are signing up for ICSI when they come to be fertilized later. The next day, you find out how many fertilize. That number is usually 75 to 80%. It varies lab to lab. So you could ask your lab, hey, what's the rate of normal fertilization here for frozen eggs or even just for IVF in general? But it's important to know that it's unlikely that every egg will survive the freeze-thaw process or that every egg that does survive will become fertilized. And then it's a big waiting game. The embryos are growing out in the lab. It's a really nice controlled environment. They're kept warm. They're given all the nutrients they need. But five or six days later, an embryo has developed to the stage of a blastocyst. And that's what we were talking about. That's 100 to 200 cells and a much stronger survivor, but not every embryo, not every egg that accepts fertilization is going to make it all the way to the blastocyst stage. It's usually about 50%, okay? So you can see that your eggs, if you had 20 eggs and now 18 survived and 16 fertilized, suddenly you're at eight that made it through the process. 
And then from the blastocyst stage, multiple things can happen. They can be frozen then as embryos to be transferred at a later date. And that happens all the time in IVF cycles because if a woman makes eight blastocysts, we are not going to put them all in. Remember my rule, no reality TV shows. However, they can also be transferred immediately. So you could transfer one embryo inside and freeze the rest of them. Or they can be biopsied for pre-implantation genetic testing. PGT. There's different reasons why you do PGT. It can be done because you're screening for aneuploidy or for an abnormal chromosome number. It can be done because you and your partner are both carriers for a genetic disease, such as my great friend Anita or Yoga Doc MD. You know, she went through IVF with PGTM is what it's officially called. But what that means is they were looking for a monogenetic disorder. They were looking for the BRCA gene to see which embryos carried the BRCA gene. And so this can be done for a wide variety of different genetic diseases. But most of the time, couples are screening for aneuploidy. So this is the other piece of the puzzle. When you get older, you run out of eggs. We already are talking about how number is a limiting factor here. But with age, egg quality is another limiting factor. The easiest way to think about this is that your eggs, when you're inside your mother's womb, are frozen in metaphase of meiosis. So remember back to meiosis, you've got all the different phases, but metaphase is where your chromosomes meet in the middle, and they have these spindles called meiotic spindles or proteins that are holding the chromosomes apart. I like to explain it like, hey, just like the rest of our body, our proteins break down as we get older. So do the proteins that are holding these chromosomes apart. And so you're predisposed to an increase in abnormal splitting of your eggs as you get older. So not only do you have fewer, the ones that you have are more likely to be genetically abnormal. And so here are some numbers of the embryos that make it to the blastocyst stage if they are biopsied. If cells, five to eight cells, are taken from the outer surface of the embryo called the trophectoderm, essentially the placenta, and if they are analyzed, what we will find is that women who are less than 35 will have about 30% of their embryos abnormal. Women who are between 35 to 37 will have about 40% of their embryos abnormal. What we will find is that women who are between 38 to 40 will have about 60% of their embryos abnormal, and women who are 41 or older will have 70% or more of their embryos abnormal. Those are big numbers, guys. So here's how age plays a role. If you froze these 20 eggs at age 32, okay? So we work through the math, and eight of them made it to the blastocyst stage when you go to use them later, and you are 32 at freezing them, so 30% of them are abnormal, you're still sitting pretty good with, on average, you'd have five genetically normal embryos if they were tested. However, the same situation, the same number of eggs at age 38, now you have a 60% chance of genetic abnormalities. So from your 20 eggs, eight made it to the blastocyst stage. Now you have maybe three that are normal. And remember that even every genetically normal embryo will not implant or be a live-born baby. And we say that because it's important to realize. I think the truth is, in modern medicine, so often we think genetics is so important, and genetics is so important, but it's not everything. The uterus still has to do its job. 
And the embryo still has to be competent, meaning organs have to develop that don't relate to genetics all the time. You can hear people having a birth defect, a big hole in their heart, or half their heart doesn't develop, and they may be genetically normal. Same thing happens with brain and neural development. So things can still go wrong along the process. It's not a guarantee. But once you get to the genetically normal embryo stage, your chance of live birth rate is almost normalized depending on your age. So even if you were 38, now that you've gotten a genetically normal embryo, your chance of a live birth is between 60 to 70%. And that's really astonishing. It's wonderful. This is how genetic testing is changing the game. It is helping normalize you. But the caveat is you have to have enough eggs to get there. I gave you the example for a 38-year-old of getting 20 eggs. What if you only get eight? What if you only get eight? Now six survived and four fertilized and two grew out and 60% are abnormal. You may not have a normal embryo. And you just walked around for four years, five years of your life feeling super rich because you had eight eggs frozen in the bank, feeling like you were going to have your baby. And hopefully this math is making you realize That's not a guarantee, you guys. I still believe there's a lot of autonomy here. So yeah, eight eggs at 38 is still better than no eggs at age 44 or whatever eggs you have at 42 or whatever age. But I think it's really important that you view this appropriately. The 38-year-old who only gets eight eggs, she should do it again if she can. Of course, there are limiting factors. You have to take time out of your life, and it's financially expensive. Even people who have insurance coverage for fertility, sometimes it won't cover egg freezing to preserve your fertility unless you have a cancer diagnosis. So this is hugely important, you guys. Sometimes finances can limit you, and that's just reality, but it's still better to get any eggs out there if you know you're really waiting substantially. And some questions about what age is best. It appears that if you're younger than 37, you're going to fall into the best camp group. It really looks like in studies that between age 32, 33 is where the break point starts to go down. Women start to have a decline in the quality and the quantity of their eggs. So overall, that tends to be a point where you still have good quality eggs if you know you're purposefully delaying. Now, if you're 28 and you're married and you're looking at starting a family at 31, 32 and you want one or two children... I'm not saying you need to go rush out and freeze your eggs at 28. Certainly, you can see what life is throwing at you a little bit. But who I am talking to is the women who are age 32 to 35, who are not yet starting their family, purposefully delaying. You're still falling into statistically, you should have a good chance of success if you get the right amount of eggs for your age. And so that's where you really need to start considering this. It also doesn't mean that you don't do it if you're older. I am not at all a fan of telling a woman, hey, you're too old to do this. I just think it's really important that I lay the facts out so she is educated enough to decide for herself if it makes sense for her. Is the return on the investment high enough? There are always other options. You could try to get pregnant right now with donor sperm if you are ready to. You can wait and just see what happens, accepting the fact that you may not have the family size you originally planned for, or it may not happen for you. Or you can be okay with donor eggs if you are, in fact, going to run out of eggs earlier, or alternative family building options like adoption. So here's what I think you need to ask if you're considering egg freezing. 
you need to one, schedule an appointment and talk with a fertility physician. Number two, you deserve an evaluation of your antral follicle count and your AMH level. Three, you should ask how many eggs are expected based on your test results and how many eggs you would estimate to need to have one live birth. You should ask how many cycles would be recommended based on your specific data. And then you should ask with success rates, have there been any patients who've utilized those eggs? But you have to understand that this has been experimental till 2012. Clinics then had to adopt it, and then women had to freeze the eggs and then wait years and be ready to utilize them. Most of us don't have lots of long-term data with women freezing their eggs for their own personal use later. But I'm going to wrap up with my challenge for you, and this is it. I know that as humans, we are curious beings. When we see somebody who's married or in a relationship and they haven't had kids yet, we want to know when are they planning on it? We think it's good conversation. Or if we see a woman who's like rock starring it at her career, but not yet married, we want to know what her plans are. And I just want to say, guys, it is not supportive. It's not. We need to change our mindset. So as a woman in medicine, here are things that I have personally been told and I want you to hear it. Don't have kids now. You haven't had kids yet? Don't you want kids? Your kids will never see you. You can't be a good doctor and a good mother. Your training will suffer if you have kids. Who will raise your kids if you're at work? You're taking birth control, aren't you? Are you going to quit your job after having kids? Don't you want more kids? Having more kids won't be fair to your kids since you work so much. It's too hard to have kids when you're done with training and in private practice. We shouldn't hire her because she's not done with her childbearing yet and she'll take off time for maternity leave. If you take off more than five weeks from your training, you'll have to graduate late. It's not fair to your co-residents or co-fellows for you to take off another maternity leave. Your infertility patients will not want you to be their doctor if you're pregnant again. Dude, those are all real things and they suck, okay? None of them were really said with malintent. Nobody was trying to be mean. I don't know what the point was, probably expressing some of their own internal feelings on the subject about delaying their own childbearing or working for somebody else. But I just want to say this. One, if you're in the position when trying to determine when to start your family, if you should freeze your eggs or shouldn't freeze your eggs, you make the choice for you, girl. You make the choice for you. Don't you dare not freeze your eggs because your residency is too demanding. Nope. You go tell somebody you got some doctor appointments It'll all be cleared up in a couple weeks and you do it. This is for you. Or don't you dare not have a baby when you want to just because you're afraid of what your co-residents will think. It is too big a deal to gamble with. You need to look out for the family you want in the future, however it is. And on the flip side, the challenge is one, identify if you are somebody who is saying some of these things, even without meaning to, stop it, stop it, stop it. And two, Please evaluate what your family planning goals are. Do you want children? When are you going to have them? Does that make sense? If you're not sure, ask a doctor. If you ask your OB and they say you're young, don't worry about it, see somebody else. If nobody will do your testing, you come see me. You go see a fertility doctor. We all feel passionate about this. So you get the data you need to make the choice that you need to make because you can't make decisions about things that you don't know. Thank you guys so much for listening today to episode 12 to egg freezing. I can't wait to get your feedback. 
Please share. As you can tell by my rhetoric, I'm super passionate about this. And I think this is basic information that people need to know, women need to understand when they're looking at their reproductive options. Please continue to share the As a Woman podcast. I love you all so much. Thanks for your ratings and reviews. Thanks for the DMs and the emails with topic suggestions. Guys, I've got enough episodes to keep going for two years, so y'all just get ready. I'm just so appreciative of all of you. So feel free to follow along on my Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD or check out the blog at NatalieCrawfordMD.com. And please don't hesitate to reach out. Join us for next week's episode. Lucky number 13, girl, quit your job. <laughs>